The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, 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 and a special welcome. We are launching Season 2 of our series called The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP Services. So all of you fans knowing, wanting to know what the future will bring, this is the place to be. We're going to be doing alternate Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern. Uh, the math is a little interesting, but just tune every Thursday. We'll always have a great show for you. So let me do my usual intro. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the right place. Today's buzz, very important word. It is the buzz, simplification. Okay, let's get started. Busy, connected consumers today are demanding, not just wanting or asking, demanding simpler but richer experience, a little paradox there. But since most business people are consumers too, in fact, I don't know any who aren't, their companies, the people they work for, are getting the message loud and clear that it's time to simplify B2B business-to-business interactions. So the message is funneling back into the into the work world, into the business world. Several questions come to mind. How far off is what we call a new paradigm of business simplification? That's one question. What are today's thought leaders doing to drive change to get their companies there? What kind of change is possible? Maybe everything. I don't know. And what will a simplified business look like in the year 2020? A lot of questions, and I have a wonderful panel of esteemed experts, thought leaders, who are going to help us find the answers to help your business simplify. First up, I'm going to welcome Richard Edwards. He's a principal analyst at Ovum. He's no stranger to SAP Game Changers Radio. And Richard sent me the following quote, just two words that pack a wallop. And the quote is, complexity kills. Richard Edwards, welcome to Future of Business with Game Changers. How are you today? I'm well, thank you, Bonnie. Thanks for having me back on the show. Wonderful. Thanks for joining me. Tell me about this quote, two little words, complexity kills. What does it kill? Whom does it kill? How does it kill? Let's have some details here. Well, you know, I wish I could lay claim to actually yeah, coming at the quote, but it was actually plucked from a note that um, Ray Ozzy, who was uh, Bill Gates' replacement, uh, Several years ago now, um, sent out in a, in a note in October 2010, so pretty much four years um, uh, back now. And, and really what he was trying to get at here was that, you know, complexity really is the you know, antithesis of simplicity. Uh, and pretty much as most of us know, you know, complexity really does drain the energy from all of us, whether it's, you know, the world of IT, um, you know, or the world of business. Complexity just drains the energy from, you know, business users, if it's an IT system, you know, customers, 
Uh, it can drain the energy from partners, uh, you know, and certainly from an IT point, developers and IT departments. And I think it's important at this point just to clarify you know, the use of the word complexity, because we don't really want to confuse it with the word complicated, so there are subtle differences here. Mm -hmm. so I really think of complexity as something where, you know, there are a lot of moving parts, and these, in part, these parts interact with each other in multiple different ways. Uh, and uh, oftentimes, we can't accurately know or predict ahead of time how they are going to, or what the results are going to be. Uh, and certainly this is true of, of IT, as many of us know it. But it's also true of, of sort of business processes. And so complexity pretty much makes, you know, business IT systems or business processes not only difficult to plan, build, but also to test and to use. Richard, I have a question for you. Does anybody plan to have complexity, or is it just an organic thing that happens? Think of a startup. They start out simple, and everybody understands everything, and you can know the names of everybody sitting around the table. In the beginning, you know all the customers, and you know what systems you start with, and then it grows and grows and grows. Does complexity just organically arrive one day where you say, OMG, what have we done? What have we wrought? What have we done? Or is there still uh, an ethic somewhere in ethos, maybe in IT, trying to say, their job, sorry to say that, where we have to make a complex to preserve our, our position here. We have to be the only ones who know what this is. What's your point of view on that? Well, quite often times, you know, complexity is, is just a byproduct of, you know, a process or a system that's, that's been in play for a long time. And that's why really organizations must, must think about replacement, uh, you know, retirement, or, or indeed uh, obsolescence. And I guess in the world of IT, uh, a little bit of jargon, but we describe this quite often as, as sort of re-platforming. But complexity usually sort of shows up as those little quirks that catches out. You know? mm -hmm. And sometimes those little quirks, you know, can prevent us from getting the job done or, or fulfilling our role. But from an organizational perspective, those quirks soon start to escalate and the cost adds up, uh, generally increasing the overall cost of doing business. And, you know, complexity pretty much is inevitable because often we sort of build on top of what we mm -hmm. already have uh, and that can be driven by, you know, the market or customers. But then that starts to sort of lead to this sort of, you know, fragility, uh, which in turn, of course, you know, impacts our ability and, and constrains us. So, so those systems that were once seen as great enablers, you know, eventually become hindrances. Thank you, Richard. I'm thinking back to my days as a mainframe programmer, if anybody is still alive who remembers what that was all about. And I remember being asked to deal with what we used to call spaghetti code, where a, a set of code for a program just had been added onto and onto and onto by so many people who put their finger into that pie and they just kept adding and adding and looping and looping. And my goodness, it was just a pile of tangled spaghetti. Thank you, Richard, for a good intro to our topic. I'd like to welcome our second panelist. He's a newcomer to SAP. Radio. It's Manish P. Nirmal, N-I-R-M-A-L, I'll spell that. He's a leader of sales and strategy for HP's application delivery management solutions. And Manish sent me the following quote, turns out, from Albert Einstein, who is our most frequently quoted 
expert on on all of our SAP radio shows. And here's the quote. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing and expecting a different result. Welcome, Manish. How are you? Doing great this morning, Bonnie. Thank you very much for having me on the show today. Oh, we're delighted to have you. I, I don't remember if we've had anybody from HP on before. Perhaps we have on one of our other series, so we're delighted to have you. Tell me about this quote. Why did you pick it, and how does it relate to our topic? And by the way, the full name of our topic today is The Future of Business Simplification. Bye-bye, complexity. Talk to me, Manish. Yeah, so the first time I heard this quote, I was in 11th grade taking calculus, and I came home struggling in the subject, and my father dropped this quote on me. And he said, what are you doing differently to get better at calculus? Uh, interestingly enough, I have a 9- and 11-year-old children, and I use it on them as well. So it really could pertain <laughs> to many things. When we look at it in the scope of simplification, I see enterprise companies trying to change and simplify, but the approach that they're taking is the same playbook that they've used over and over again throughout the years. And that approach tends to be looking at the organization first and trying to change their organization. And they believe an organization change leads to simplification. The problem with that approach is that they're not looking closely at the processes, the people, and the problems that they want to solve by reorging. And I think what that does is that it increases the complexity of the organization just by flattening it out. They're looking at an opportunity to um, now go and change processes after they've made a huge change in the organization and people tend to get disgruntled after organization changes Mm -hmm. and creates a lot of problems in the organization. I think what okay. uh, so I think one thing that enterprise companies have to do is they have to look at the consumer driven market for leadership in this area of simplification. A great example is uh, what we've seen in mobile applications and uh, the use of our mobile phones. One of my favorite applications I'd like to use on my mobile phone is to deposit a check. I take a picture of the check mm-hmm. and I deposit it, and wow it's it's in my bank account and um, what the enterprise companies have done is that they've started to adopt some Um, some functionality like that into their enterprise applications. For example, at HP, when I have an expense, I can take a picture of my receipt and it gets added to my expense report. So I think that's the first step that companies are leveraging in order to do simplification, but Mm -hmm. I think they have a long way to go. Thank you, Manish. And, and that harks back to, in my introduction, I said, busy, connected consumers want simpler, richer experiences, and they're bringing that need, that demand, that drive for simplification back into the enterprises where they work, or they're telling the enterprises from whom they buy products and services, we want what we like in our personal life. You agree with that? Absolutely. Yep, good start. Thank you very much. And let me bring on our third panelist. It's Michelle Weber. She's a VP of Growth Marketing at SAP North America. And Michelle sent a quote from one of my favorite people of recent years. It's Seth Godin. And here's the quote. How can you squander even one more day not taking advantage of the greatest shifts of our generation? How dare you settle for less when the world has made it so easy for you to be remarkable? Wow. Michelle Weber, Welcome to Future of Business with Game Changers. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you, Bonnie. Thanks for joining us. Tell me, how come you picked Seth Godin, one of my favorites, and uh, how does this quote relate to our hello simplification, bye-bye complexity topic? Well, I love this quote um, for a couple of reasons. I mean, certainly being in the marketing line of business and Seth Godin, arguably the godfather of digital marketing. And for those of you that know him, he's very famous for his marketing manifestos and ushering in a whole new genre um, based on being very uh, relevant and personal and really having your consumers and customers want to anticipate what you have to say. 
But what's fascinating about Seth is that his messages are not only provocative and thought-provoking, but the way he delivers them are pretty remarkable because they are so simple. Um, His blog is essentially based on an idea of the day, and typically his books that are all best-selling are about the half of the average word count of your typical business read. Um, Mm -hmm. The other reason I love his quote is because I think it's equal parts inspiring. So how can we live in a time of such unprecedented opportunity that's afforded to us in this modern world? And it's also a little bit butt-kicking at the same time because with this advantage comes a responsibility um, to go make something happen, if I can quote him again. And Mm -hmm. so I do believe we have a responsibility as leaders to act with a sense of urgency as well. So why I think it's relevant for our talk today is that now more than ever, we do have the capabilities to be remarkable. Um, yesterday, I was reading uh, Seth's blog, and he, he wrote about the value of access. So we have this unprecedented access to people, to capital, to infrastructure, to information and technology. And you couple that with this perfect storm of technology innovations with the convergence of cloud and mobile and social and big data. So it really ushers in this new era of empowerment um, for people to want to work smarter, faster, and simpler. So while I I would say that I agree with um, my colleagues' comments on complexity can kill and, and we want to conquer complexity, I think it's actually more about flexing a new style of leadership to master this complexity to your full advantage. And it's not necessarily paved as a, as a road to reduce frustration, but to increase your opportunity for innovation. Thank you, Michelle. Interesting. We like uh, different points of view, and we're not used to getting them up front in the first segment of the show. So I appreciate that. A, a really good uh, perspective. Uh, on Seth Godin, I agree with you. He gets to the point so quickly. His writing is so right there in front of you. You either get it or you don't. And if you get it, usually it's an aha. He never wastes your time, and there's an elegance in the simplicity of his writing. I think you'll agree with that. I subscribe to his blog and get it every day, and I look forward to it. Always get something out of it. So thank you. Guess what, panelists? I have a little storytelling segment I'd like to have you help me with. So I'm going to go around the table. Richard knows what this one's all about. I'm going to ask you what's in your cup today or what do you wish you were drinking right after the show? Richard Edwards, talk to me. Well, Bonnie, as you know, I tend to uh, run about this time. Uh, It's now 3.15 here in the UK. It's it's normally uh, tea. Uh, but I've, I've sort of changed my habits recently, and mm-hmm. I've become a home roaster, in fact. So I'm now roasting my own coffee at home and uh, grinding it and, and brewing it and tasting the delight. So in my cup today, I have um, a lovely sort of spicy, musky aroma, Indonesian coffee bean, old brown java. So uh, it's got a little bit of sugar and a, a spot of cream, and it's delicious. Sounds wonderful. You've certainly broken stride. I'm not going to say that I go back to Munish's quote from Albert Einstein, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing and expecting a different result. So you put the tea aside and you went to coffee and you're having a good time. So there. Talk about uh, bold and simplifying everything. Thank you, Richard. Munish, speaking of you, what are you drinking today? So this morning, coincidentally, I'm actually having chai, which is, uh, of course, Indian tea. And uh, it's, I think of 30 years ago, if someone asked me what I was having, and if I said chai, they probably wouldn't know what it was. 
Um, since right. my ethnic background is Indian and I grew up drinking chai, and now that the world is flat, everybody knows what chai is. And you can walk into Starbucks or any, any coffee shop in America and get something that impersonates chai. But uh, I'm having a nice cup of chai, just the same as the way my mom used to make it when I was a kid. Now, I can't let you get away with that comment, something that impersonates chai. What's the real deal? What do the impersonators look, taste, or smell like? Help us. Right. So I think the big difference is is that we add a masala to our our tea, which is a a ground mixture of different spices. And then Mm -hmm. we put milk in it and we boil it over. That's the traditional technique of cooking chai. Sounds wonderful. Thanks for the recipe. Appreciate it. Michelle Weber, what drinkest thou? Well, in my cup this morning is a is a Kona K-cup. I think I go back and mm. forth between Kona and Blue Mountain Jamaican coffee, which are both equally enjoyable for their coffee and their travel destinations. Um, I'd say being on the East Coast, we are not quite a short jet set away from Hawaii. So um, <laughs> what takes me back is that uh, my husband and I, on our five-year anniversary in Maui, we actually did a sunrise bike ride down the Haleakala Volcano. And for those of you that have done this, you know what I'm referring to. And if you haven't done this, I highly recommend it for your, for your bucket list. But they literally pick you up in the middle of the night in a van. They drive you to this volcano summit. And it's so cold at the summit that they literally give you parkas for you, for you in the van and tell you to dress in layers. And then you see this beautiful sunrise atop of the volcano and then you take a bike ride down this very scenic trail and as you do you're kind of shedding layers because it's getting warmer and warmer and when you finish you finish at this tiny hut at the bottom of the volcano and it has the most amazing Hawaiian house blend of coffee and certainly uh, an amazing view. Wow, wow, I didn't expect anything like that. Great story. Thank you, Michelle. You're in the spirit. And by the way, I have a note here from, uh, let's see, from Dave Fowler, who is a sponsor of this series. And he says, in my cup today, caribou coffee to warm me up. It's only 50 degrees in Detroit. Wow, I think it's a little bit warmer here in New York. Michelle, where are you today? I'm actually right outside Philadelphia in Newtown Square. And uh, what is it, a little bit hazy, a little bit sun trying to peek through? What do you think, high 60s maybe? No, it's going to actually be warm today in the 80s. Ah, okay, Dave, we're going to send a little warmth over to you in Detroit. Michelle and I will do our best. Guess what? My panel has worked very hard in this opening segment, and it's time for me to give them a break so they can have a sip of something wonderful. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation. As a matter of fact, it'll be a 30-minute roundtable nonstop. Our topic today is the future of business simplification. Bye-bye, complexity. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, privileged to be speaking with Richard Edwards at Ovum, Manish Nirmal at HP, and Michelle Weber at SAP. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We'll be right back. Michael out. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. 
The pace of innovation is moving faster than ever, and the future of business will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. Factors as diverse as business simplification, insights from growing volumes of data, the new global pool of talent, resource scarcity, business networks and supply chains, and the ever-present need for speed are shaping the definition of future success. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of change. The Future of Business with Game Changers is presented by SAP Services. Visit www.sap.com. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790, 866-472-5790, Voice America Business Network. Welcome back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Comments? Questions? Send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the show at hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers. Here we are, and I have to do a shout-out to our tweeters. We've got quite an active Twitter stream here at hashtag SAP Radio. We've got SAP Services. I know for a fact that's Andy Greek. Hello, Andy. Welcome back on Season 2. Dave Fowler, who is the sponsor of this show at SAP. And we have SAP Strategic Customer also tweeting for us. So thank you. And we have Nuno Payava Das Neves tweeting as well. So welcome, everyone, to our Twitter stream. Appreciate that. So our topic today is the future of business. Business simplification, bye-bye complexity. I love to say that. I think I'm John McLaughlin. Bye-bye. I won't go there. And Richard Edwards at Ovum, we're going to start off this roundtable with some notes you sent me before the show. Let me read them, and then you start, and we will have Manish and Michelle join in the conversation. You say, the antithesis of simplicity is complexity. And as we all know, IT complexity drains the energy from users, from developers, and IT departments. You add that complexity makes business systems difficult to plan, build, test, and use. Richard, let's get started. Well, I think just to sort of pick upon one of the points that um, so I think it was Michelle was making about the, you know, go make something happen today. One of the challenges, particularly that IT departments are having, is that everybody is, is going off and doing something different. Um, so the consumerization of IT has led to the point where if the uh, IT department doesn't provide a tool, a capability, or a service, then we as end users take our skills that we're honing as consumers and head out there and find a tool that will help us get our job done. This, of course, then introduces that level of complexity because suddenly we have an unknown in the, uh, in the system uh, and indeed multiple unknowns. And, and we're finding through our research that you know, the consumer in all of us is actually introducing a level of overall complexity to some of those, the collaboration um, activities that we take on in the workplace. And, and, and that presents some sort of worrying concerns, I guess, for, for IT managers uh, and for those individuals who have to look at uh, you know, governance and compliance. So there's a bit of a double-edged sword taking place there. 
Thank you, Richard. Manish, thoughts on this? I know you have something to say from your experience, your expertise, and uh, the POV of your expertise gained at HP. What do you see? Yeah, so it's interesting uh, that you uh, phrase it that way, Richard, because what I see is um, something similar in that uh, the consumerization is very important and the developers and people that are involved in uh, the IT organization do want to do things on their own and take ownership. They don't want to wait for the slow IT bus. So one thing that I've recently seen at an enterprise that was interesting was something called uh, the two pizza team. And what the two pizza team is a team no larger than what it would take to consume two pizzas and you know not be hungry anymore. And with this two pizza team approach, what companies are doing is they're saying, come to us, the, the management level, and define the business objectives and let us know what those business objectives are. We'll go ahead and approve them, but you as the pizza team will determine how you're going to go out, implement, and achieve the results that you need to achieve. So that gives the team the autonomy to go in and get very complex if they want, if they want to do it very simple and they want to bring in uh, consumer-type strategies in, they can do that as long as they meet the goals that they defined up to the uh, management level. So I think that's a great approach in order to kind of uh, straddle the fence between the two uh, areas of being complex and simple. Thank you, Manish. Richard, any comments back? Uh, And Michelle, I want you to chime in. But Richard, anything back to what Manish added? Well, I think that sounds to me like a sort of very enlightened approach to you know, the new world of work. Uh, and, of course, the challenge always is to, to get business leaders to, to think things differently. You know, if we, if we have the sort of same people in play, then the same ideas, the same approaches, and the same processes tend to be the outcome, just going back to your original quote. So, you know, an injection of new thinking is a refreshing way to, uh, to, to move forward in this world, undoubtedly. Michelle Weber, thoughts? Yeah, I'm just to build on the topic. I mean, I think mm-hmm. um, in the beginning when we talked about the fact that there's been this legacy of, of business process that's been built up that has created this complexity. Um, but I think what compounds it is the fact that we're not now just talking about business process or solutions within a specific line of business. Now, when we're in this world of collaboration and networking, it's how do we find the opportunity between the silos? Um, because we're now looking for, you know, advanced decision-making and advanced business processes and how can technology help us to really harness the opportunity between the silos. So I think that that even compounds it even further and in terms of the empowerment of the worker to really desire that. Michelle, good point. I'm going to ask the other panelists to chime in, but I have a question for you. Does does the mere existence or the, the burgeoning trend of we need to collaborate we have to collaborate it's part of innovation it's part of connectedness it's part of companies talking with and to not at their customers their consumers does the mere existence of collaboration in the workplace bring an organic complexity because you've got more people talking about things how do you cut through that and get a simple elegant answer or solution out of the collaborative process any thoughts on that Sure. I mean, I would say uh, to your answer, yes. Um, I think inherently, I mean, there's so much driving this, right? I mean, every, people that work in a business are people, and we're all engaging in social networks in our personal lives, and we want to do the same in our business lives. We know that the millennial generation by 2020 will represent about 75% of the workforce, which is astounding. I mean, they're digital natives that they want to collaborate as a preference. I mean, that's their preferred style of communication. Mm -hmm. So I think that 
with the advantages, it's kind of the new norm for complexity, I guess is the way I would state it, and something mm-hmm. that we have to learn how to unlock um, to really reap the full potential. Great point. Thank you. Richard, thoughts on what Michelle added? Yeah, I think the key word there that I picked up on was, was the word advanced, um, whether it's advanced decision-making or analysis. Uh, and, you know, this can become complicated, um, but I think by doing it out in the open, so, you know, using those enterprise social networks and, and channels that uh, Michelle was talking about, that helps other people to get a sense of how we're tackling a business challenge or, or what our plans are or what our thinking is. And that reduces that level of unknownness. Uh, and therein you, you're reducing the opportunity for complexity because we're, we're sharing what it is we're thinking about and we're sharing our approaches. So I think that's a, a very distinct difference to maybe how we used to go about things in the past. Definitely a distinct difference uh, and a, a trend. Min- Manish, thoughts? Yeah, so you know, I think one of the big challenges in collaboration right now uh, in what I'll call the new style of IT is that a lot of the decisions are being driven by either a line of business or a marketing organization, and they're not quite sure how to communicate with IT, and IT is not quite sure how to communicate with them. So as these groups could get uh, you know, on a, a consistent cadence with com- communicating and collaborating and coming up with ideas and understanding how to implement those ideas across the organization, I think we're going to see a lot of improvements um, in this area. Thank you very much. I'm ready to go in a slightly different direction. I want to turn to some comments I received from Manish Nirmal at HP before the show. And this is an interesting one. It's uh, provocative. Manish, you said to me, simplification is driven by the short attention span of the world. Everyone is easily distracted. I don't know. Has ADD or ADHD come into fashion? I hesitate to say that. I'm sure some PC people are going to say, Bonnie, how could you? Manish, talk to me. And then we'll have Michelle and we'll have Richard add on. Go ahead. Yeah, so it's interesting. And when we look at uh, this uh, short extension span, what really comes to mind for me is in mobile applications, right? You can go and download a mobile application that does something. If you don't like it or if it doesn't work for you, you're going to toss it out and find something else. But in the interim, what you're also going to do is give it a rating. So you're going to give it one star because it was slow or it didn't do the functionality mm-hmm. that you wanted to do. So all that's really out in the open for us, and it's really starting to train us on what our expectations should be with uh, regards to functionality, how an application works, how quickly it responds, and all these things have been driven from the consumer down to um, the enterprise now because now when, as a a salesperson, I go out and try to sell my products, customers are expecting um, an interface that looks nice, that's simple, that they don't need to spend uh, two weeks being trained on. It has to be intuitive. So all these features are really driving what uh, the B2B... um, desire is for new applications and new services. Thank you. And I'm going to add add on to that a little bit before Michelle chimes in. You say first, we're talking about how to get simplified in a big organization. First, simplify your process, then your products, and then your people. Why people last, Manish? Well, I think you have to first take a look at the uh, the process, process and products because the process is really what drives how you're going to set your organization up. As you change your processes, you're going to have to really cater to a different type of organization. So that's why I think the people change should be last because they have to fit into the new processes that you've outlined. Michelle, that's provocative. What are your thoughts? <laughs> um, I might slightly disagree with that comment in that I think, you know, everybody's heard the 
famous quote, culture eats strategy for breakfast. And I think that if we don't establish a culture of where we, we have a definition of what sim- simplicity means for your company, you establish attributes for leadership on how you will fulfill on that. Um, you establish training programs for these 75% of millennials that are coming into the organization. Um, but I think establishing this culture of why do we even need to change, what is the impact that all of this convergence of technologies is having on us and, and the responsibility for us to take advantage of it. So I do think that people would need to be the foundation and having you know, a vision for setting forth that strategy. Thank you. Peter Drucker, by the way, is usually credited as the originator of that quote. Whether it's true or not, nobody knows, but we're happy to say thank you, Peter Drucker, for that. <laughs> Richard Edwards, thoughts on uh, which side of the fence are you on? The, the Munner side, the Michelle side, somewhere in the middle? What are your thoughts? Well, I think certainly picking up on the, the, you know, the culture aspect of mm-hmm. the world in which we live and the uh, sort of demand to solve every problem that we have in, uh, in minutes. But, but some things require deeper thinking. Uh, and I think you know, some, of our, some of our education systems need uh, to, be, to be looked at more closely. Uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with, with taking 20 minutes to work out the real answer to the problem rather than you know, giving up after three minutes and sticking a Band-Aid on it. And, and I think... You know, the, the sort of Band-Aid approach to IT, uh, in actual fact, has led to sort of some of the key, you know, the complexity that we, we find ourselves having to deal with, deal with on, a, on a regular basis. Okay, thank you. Michelle, anything you want to add to that? You know, I think just that I think it's an and. I don't think it's an or, um, clearly, in all, in all of the optimization that needs to happen, and you need to have your macro and micro you know, strategies and processes all working in tandem. Okay, thank you. Manish, anything? I'm going to go to some of Michelle's talking points. Just want to know if anybody wants to uh, wrap anything up. Manish, any comments on this one? No, I think we've uh, kind of agreed that it's a little bit of a combination of both, and I think that's okay. probably the right approach. Good, I like that. I, I like it when everybody doesn't agree because it makes for a more interesting, provocative conversation. Michelle, I'm looking at a lot of wonderful notes you sent me. Uh, let's let's start with your first one here. I don't think this is backing up at all, but it'll it'll open this thread. I, we, you said we are ushering in a new era of unprecedented change across a multitude of dimensions. So let's take the broad view. You say rising customer expectations. You've already mentioned the dramatically changing workforce. Then you add an explosion in structured and unstructured structured data, and the network effect, and then you say the collective result of all these trends is the unprecedented empowerment of people. So which direction is this going in? Are we talking about the consumers? Are we talking about the leadership? Are we talking about the workforce? Where is this empowerment, or is it in all places? Well, I think it's in all places. I think it's the empowerment of the individual, and the individual is represented as a consumer or someone that is a customer or someone that's actually a line of business leader in a business. And the fact that um, we are all consumers or customers in some way, we understand the paradox sometimes of the rising customer expectations of really the fact that we have all of this transformational technologies that afford us this innovation capability, um, but, but now we want everything in real time. Everything is always on. It's real time. It's instant. So all the capabilities that I experience in my social networking and my, my personal world, I want to experience that in my business life as well. And I think that, you know, the explosion of the networked effect, I mean, there's 
over a billion people that are connected on businesses and social networks today, and we haven't even begun to tap into the opportunity there in terms of a collaboration from a business network side. So you think about all of the things that um, we experience in our personal life on Facebook, um, on, on wanting to know what people like or their opinions. I mean, if, we, if that really gets truly manifested in a business collaboration environment, um, that's going to un- unleash a whole new, you know, um, usher in a whole new set of requirements for leadership, for business process, for technology. Now, Michelle, I noticed in your notes you said you're calling it complexity leadership, not simplification or simplicity or simple leadership or simply leadership. Yeah. Is this going to be a new part of the C-suite? We'll have a chair for somebody called the complexity leader. I, I don't think so, but or the no. complexity leadership or who will be in charge of complexity leadership? And will this be the current uh, C-suite in major companies? Who will handle this, this aspect in startups? Will they say, well, we aspire to have elegant complexity, but we'll pretend it's simplicity. Where is this going with leadership, Michelle? I think it's, I, I dare give it a name because I think that the, the name will be too de, to be determined um, because I think there's a lot of attributes that sit within it. But I think um, first and foremost, it's a, it's a paradigm. It, it is attributes of leadership that I think this new um, norm of complexity drives. And so, you know, as an example, <clears throat> you know, I've, I've read about um, this concept of network leadership, where in the past, you know, it used to be about transactional leadership and then transformational leadership. And the next phase of that is really network leadership and how are you helping your employees establish a network? How are you helping people collaborate? How are you fostering that within your organization? Um, adaptive leadership is also another key um, aspect of it, which is really how can an organization adapt to create the conditions to achieve, you know, day-to-day responsibilities that we all have, but also simultaneously transform itself um, for what it needs to do in the future. And we've actually done a little bit of this in SAP in terms of how we've split our worlds up in marketing to focus on the realities of the revenue numbers to hit on a weekly basis, as well as you know, segments of the business where we're really focusing on growth areas of the business. Um, And I think, you know, um, this whole concept of generative leadership, which is really um, the concept of generating new ideas that really come bottoms up. So how do you really foster that? It's not tops down. It's bottoms up collaboration when you have this collaboration network. And I think what's really important is that we need to ensure that we have reward systems within companies that Mm -hmm. reward people for doing that because I don't think that that's native. Um, Historically, I think we reward one person or we reward somebody for the shiny idea and this is about, you know, people coming together and building on ideas and fostering that sharing of ideas. Thank you, Michelle. I, I want to ask you one more point, and then I'm going to ask Manish and Richard to jump in on this. We, I talked in the beginning, and, and Manish talked about consumers want simplicity. They want things easier. We're all used to in our personal lives. I want it now. I get it now. I have these devices. I learned how to use them, yada, yada. And they go to work, and it's mountains and mountains and mountains of process and complexity. So the question is, is there such a thing? Are you seeing, Michelle, any kind of, I'll use this term loosely, a revolt of the workers saying to leadership, Damn it! 
I can't do my job under these circumstances. There's too much complexity. Would you please simplify it? So is it coming not just from the consumer and the customer and the outside world or perhaps the, the need for competition to be competitive, but is it coming inside the enterprise, Michelle, where people are saying, I want it simpler now in order to work here? What do you see? Absolutely. I mean, I think that um, especially, too, when we're talking about how important you know, it is for talent, the war on talent, and to drive up employee engagement, we cannot have a giant chasm between the vision of being, you know, I'll use my own line of business, modern marketers, and then have a giant chasm in terms of making that a reality for people in terms of the tools or the process or the technology. So I think for sure, um, and I can see within our own company that we're encouraging and our top executive leaders are encouraging employee collaboration to really help us simplify, you know, on our own, on our own journey. Um, and that's certainly coming from the employees at SAP. Thank you. Richard Edwards, I want you to chime in on this point from the perspective of when IT complexity introduces all kinds of challenges and frustrates the administrators who go back and say, I want it predictable, and it's not predictable anymore. I can't do my job. What do you see? Well, certainly, you know, system complexity does uh, cause frustration about amongst administrators, whether they're IT or, or indeed business um, administrators, and that's because they like, like many of us, like predictability, and, and unfortunately, predictability is something that we can't rely on um, these days. And, and indeed, I think a lot of this is brought about by the technologies that now exist within our world. And, and we have to recognize and think a little bit differently about the future because we're now entering this timeline that is, is running at a uh, sort of an exponential rate rather than sort of a linear change that we've perhaps been familiar with in the past. And if we sort of remember our sort of math lessons, you know, when a, when a curve goes exponential, uh, it's very easy to sort of fall off that that curve, um, and particularly if we've been used to something that's been more placid and, and more linear. Uh, and this does present a challenge, I think, for business leaders. Uh, often, uh, I guess, companies hire people, particularly leaders, based on their performance and uh, experiences gained in the past. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see how many leaders you know, stick around to uh, deal with tomorrow's problems because they mm-hmm. are certainly very different from the ones we had, you know, five or, or ten years ago. Thank you. Manish at HP. Thoughts on this? The worker revolt, I call it, against complexity. What do you see? Yes, uh, that's, that's a great uh, topic. And I think the worker revolt is something that I've seen a lot, especially in the uh, development organizations where um, you've got a bunch of developers out there and they're using the same old processes like waterfall methods, things like that to do development. And uh, they're looking at the world around them and there's these new paradigms of agile development, uh, continuous testing, continuous integration, things like that coming out. And they want to jump on the bandwagon because they want their skills to be current. They don't want to be left in the dark ages. Earlier on, at the beginning, you mentioned you were a mainframe programmer. Well, today Mm -hmm. being a mainframe programmer is programmer isn't chic, so you want to be an agile developer. And uh, these organizations or the people, developers, are coming up and saying, hey, uh, listen, Mr. IT um, or CIO, let's go out and let's become agile and let's implement these processes to become agile so we can 
do two things. First of all, benefit the organization by putting out code quicker and building applications quicker, but also benefit ourselves because now we're going to be out there and we're going to be more marketable. So we're going to improve your business at the same time, improve our personal business. Manish, thank you. And I want to bring in one more point. We're just about up against the break, but this is an important one. If we really get going on this, I'll just skip the break and we'll go to the predictions. You you gave me the point before the show. You said large enterprises are reacting to small startups who are lean, nimble, and here is the key word, simple. The startups are taking market share. And enterprises are trying to act more like startups, but in most cases, guess what? They are failing. So what do they do? They acquire the startup. Uh, This sounds like a vicious cycle to me where they acquire the startup and then maybe they add complexity to the enterprise. Manish, what's your observation? Yes, I've seen it happen in several different ways. And, uh, of course, at HP, there's been uh, plenty of acquisitions. And some of them we bring on board and we uh, let them run independently. And those have been very successful for a long time. They continue to run independently. And then when we do bring them into the fray, um, and I'm sure this is the same for many organizations, uh, then all of a sudden we bring them into the larger organization and we add the complexity of our processes and uh, procedures for for these uh, startup organizations. And uh, they're no longer getting this the same focus that they got as a startup, meaning I've got a single product mm-hmm. line I need to sell and I have a very specific consumer I need to sell to. Now they're uh, kind of boiled into all the other products that uh, the organization sells. And I think that's where the challenge is once the enterprise does bring on board a uh, startup and integrate them into their normal process. Interesting. I remember my days at Nokia. I worked for Nokia and White Plains for four years, and I was uh, marketing and communications, and I worked on the IntelliSync mobile suite, if anybody remembers what that was before they shut that one down. And um, I remember we brought on a startup that had some amazing new app. Uh, somebody, somebody, I think they were Mountain View, California, amazing app about how to access your information, your data mobile, how to access it from anywhere, you know, like... Uh, we, we all know log me in, that kind of thing. But they had their own version of it, a, a portal, a secure portal. Interesting. But I remember, Manish, we responded to the startup. We said, boy, they're acting awfully independently. Don't they know this is Nokia? We have rules. We have we have processes. We have things to do. And they're out there just still acting like a startup. And we, we were amazed that they could just be so damn independent and keep things simple. And we wanted them to come into the our com- on complex world. Any, th- any uh, response to that, Manish? Yeah, I mean, if if a company can really figure out that uh, challenge and the right mix to bring on a startup into your larger organization and continue to make them successful while integrating them, then I think uh, we'll all be billionaires. <laughs> I can't wait. Let's talk after the show. Uh, Richard, one comment. I just have a minute before break. Richard, anything you want to add to what Manish and Michelle just said? Well, I don't think any enterprise is created... Uh, as a complex entity, uh, it, it really just sort of comes about from those iterations where we build on top of, you know, an, an ever-increasing complicated stack uh, until we reach that limit. Uh, and then oftentimes we sort of find people who worked in those organizations think, you know what, you know, I can't see this getting any better. That's when they go off and create those startups. You know, they, they know what to throw by the wayside and mm-hmm. they know what secret sources to take forward. 
Interesting. We, we uh, had a show on mindfulness and the business case for health at work in the workplace yesterday on, on the, what's well, it was a coffee break show. I'm doing two shows on Wednesdays. And we talked about rearranging the furniture when you just keep moving things around and never coming up with a better answer. Guess what? You all deserve a break. I'm going to go out for just 90 seconds. When we come back, I'm going to set up Richard Edwards first at Ovum to talk to me about Richard in the crystal ball on this topic of business simplification, bye-bye complex. I'm not sure we're really saying bye-bye to complexity after this conversation. What do you see in the year 2020? Let's see if your crystal ball will take you to blue skies or clear skies at that year. Then we'll follow up with Manish Nirmal at HP, and then we'll wrap up our predictions with Michelle Weber at SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and we're going to go out for a break. Don't even think of touching. Oh, you know the drill. Mike out. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. The pace of innovation is moving faster than ever, and the future of business will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. Factors as diverse as business simplification, insights from growing volumes of data, the new global pool of talent, resource scarcity, business networks and supply chains, and the ever-present need for speed are shaping the definition of future success. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of change. The Future of Business with Game Changers is presented by SAP Services. Visit www.sap.com. Welcome back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Comments? Questions? Send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the show at hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers. Here we are. This is, in case you're just tuning in, this is the debut of Season 2 of Future of Business with Game Changers presented by SAP Services. Salute to David S. Fowler. Okay, we're talking about the future of business simplification. Bye-bye complexity, but I'm not so sure. Richard Edwards at Ovum, why don't you get that rusty crystal ball out of the closet at the back of the boat or wherever you keep it and take a look and tell me, can you see clearly to the future of this topic in 2020? What will change in the next six years. Richard, go ahead. Two minutes. Well, Bonnie, I think the last time I was on, I mentioned the fact that we'd written a paper in conjunction with a few different people, actually, on the uh, the future of work and the shape of the enterprise in 2020. And it just goes back to the, the theme I was mentioning before the break there, and that is that technology, you know, is, is, is entering this exponential curve, and, and that's going to bring about change at an unprecedented rate. Uh, So we'll probably see more change between now and the end of the decade than most certainly we've seen in the previous decade and probably the previous two decades. And if we just think about that for a moment and sort of consider, you know, what that might look like, then it can be quite a sort of chilling thought for, for some of us. But there are, of course, those people who, you know, if they can envisage envisage a, you know, a future that is, is brighter than, to, than today, 
then I think you know they're the ones who we should be looking to for leadership. So at, at this point in time, you know we've, we've just seen Apple, of course, launch a, a new product to market. You know the wearable Apple Watch. Um, mm-hmm. What is that going to be like in five years' time? We need mm-hmm. to look back at what's happened over the last five years with the sort of change brought about through the introduction of smartphones and, and more recently tablets to sort of see that we're on a sort of incredible sort of journey uh, as the devices that we work with and, and use in our daily lives transform not only the, the activities we undertake whilst trying to get the job done, but fundamentally some of those processes as well. Um, so undoubtedly, the, the next four or five years uh, are going to be uh, a little hairy, a little scary, but I think it's going to be... Um, fascinating time to live. I, I think you're right, and you're mentioning uh, Apple's new announcement. I'm thinking that, uh, to me, it's a new word that was introduced this week. Maybe I'm behind the time. Somebody somebody slap me and tell me if I am, but the word phablet, it's a phone, it's a tablet. What is it? Are we simplifying? Are we making it complex? The vocabulary is getting a little deeper and, to me, a little more complex. You have to remember what to say and how to spell it, damn it, because you want to look smart on Twitter. Thank you, Richard. Manish P. Nirmal at HP predictions what do you see so yeah i'm really looking forward to seeing what's going to happen in 2020 and i think a lot of it is going to be driven by these new startups that are coming out and probably an incubation today with one or two people um, i had the opportunity to go to a little incubation house in palo alto recently where there were about 80 people with two two man groups of startups and the types of innovation and creativity that's coming out of places like this right now is really what's going to drive what we see in 2020. And the key here, though, is that as uh, the enterprises look at these startups and see what they're doing, they really need to start mm-hmm. setting aside some funds and some uh, um, uh, time to go in and start incubating similar startups within the organizations. And I think if they do that, mm-hmm. we're going to see a lot of success driven directly out of enterprise alongside what's driven out of these uh, startups that we see out in Silicon Valley and throughout the world. Um, I think the other thing that we're going to continue to see is this push towards uh, the cloud. It'll be fully implemented. And what that's going to do to IT organizations is really turn them into a full-service organization. So they're going to have services, and they're going to offer their services. Some of them may be internal, but most of them are going to be cloud-based services. And what that's going to allow the business to do now is to focus on actually selling their product and promoting their products and running the business rather than worrying about IT and infrastructure Mm -hmm. and the things that they're worried about today. Great points. I have a quick question for you. I, th- I think you were talking about the sandbox approach where you create incubators within the company, within your own walls, right. or wherever your virtual walls are. And the question is, what's the mindset? Who has to be at the helm of leadership to say, yeah, this sounds like a good new model. Let's grow it here. Let's grow it on our own turf. And let's be smarter and leaner and leave it that way. Wh- who is going to have that vision? So, you know, one thing we do at HP here is we have an innovation group and we have an innovation leader, and the, the goal of that innovation leader is to go out and um, kind of uh, go out to the HP community and ask people to become innovation champions and come up with ideas. Ah. And those ideas are filtered through this innovation coaches. And internally, HP is actually going to fund some of these ideas on an annual basis. And we have, uh, I think, two 
two uh, innovation conferences every year where we pick the top ten and we present them out to the rest of the HP community, and then they actually get funding internally. So I think taking that approach, a programmatic approach, and having an innovation leader in your organization is what's critical. Thank you. Love it. Michelle Weber, I have saved exactly 90 seconds for you to wrap up so I can do the end of the show. Talk. Go. So I'm hopeful in 2020 when we're having this discussion, we are talking about some best practices that we've actually achieved radical simplification. So we standardize a definition on complexity. We understand how we can um, harness the technologies we have to really achieve complex decision-making, pulling real-time data together um, in a meeting or decision-making real-time that we are using it for complex business processes and that truly insights are driving processes as a result um, of harnessing this type of technology and that we've, um, you know, we've achieved a lot of what we've talked about through business networks, network collaboration and innovation. We, are, we have examples of how we're empowering people at scale and embracing the social savvy millennial workforce. And um, new customer experiences really are becoming a reality. So we can really see the seamless experience across multiple channels, and we have examples of that. And I think, you know, when we talk a lot about startups and the advantage that startups have, seem to have, every enterprise company was a startup at one time. So Mm -hmm. I'm hopeful that we're also having a discussion on how can you actually preempt um, complexity, because maybe these enterprise companies could actually help consult on preempting complexity. You know, there's a crossing the chasm point of where we build up all this complexity amongst our siloed business processes and siloed solutions for every business issue. So I think that there's actually something that that could be learned there as well. Thank you very much, Michelle. You left me just enough time. Appreciate that. Okay, I'm going to wrap up. My predictions are the following. I'm going to tell you what's happening next week. Monday, 1 p.m., HR Trends with Game Changers Season 3. Tuesday, 12 noon, ET. That's Eastern Financial Excellence with Game Changers Season 3. Wednesday, 11 a.m., you know, Coffee Break with Game Changers. Wednesday afternoon, we debut a new show, The Internet of Things with Game Changers. That's 3 p.m. Eastern. And Thursday, in this time slot, we're going to be debuting The Innovating Innovation with Game Changers. Special thank you to Richard Edwards at Ovum. Thanks for dialing in, Richard. Appreciate it. Great to hear you. Manish Nirmal at HP, delighted to meet you. And Michelle Weber at SAP, the same thing. Shout out to Dave Fowler and Andy Grieg for tweeting at SAP Services and to Michael and the Business Channel team for getting us on the air. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here's my call to action. You know what it is. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Make it simple, but go out and be a game changer today. (laughs) Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. And please join host Bonnie D. Graham again next Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. 
The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 